Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. And all of you that are joining us online, we welcome and we're so glad that you're a part of our service. Thank you for being back with us today. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, at Richard Rosenberg and preached there and, and uh, Missouri City and preached there. It is so great to be back at Sugarland. And I will tell you, you are even better looking than I remembered. So I am so glad to be back here. And uh, it's great singing the carols again, right? And it, hey, look at the decorations. This is a good grief. This is amazing. This is so fantastic. Uh, the carols, we've been singing since we were little bitty kids. And every Christmas, we've got to sing those Christmas carols. It means a great deal to us. And six years ago, I did what I had never done before. I did a series on three Christmas carols because the Christmas carols are made up of the story of Christmas. So it makes total sense to do it. But it was a lot more fun than I ever imagined. So it's been six years. Our teaching team decided, hey, let's go back and do uh, four different Christmas carols than six years ago, uh, because we had four Sundays in, in uh, December. And by the way, next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and there is no eight o'clock service, though I don't think I'm looking at anybody that normally comes to the eight o'clock service. So, but there's no eight o'clock service, 9.30 and 11. And so we picked four Christmas carols. Then we said, well, let's go do some background on all of these carols because there's a background story somewhere. And when we came back, everybody looked at me on the teaching team and said, you are doing joy to the world. We're not touching that one. Because joy to the world is a big surprise in the background story. Now, I'm going to get to that in a moment, but I noticed this front row during baptism, and I'm going to ask you right now, would you stand please, and would you do exactly what you just did at the baptism service? Are you ready? Uh, well, oh, let's go. Oh. oh, thank you so much. It's good to be back. You can be sitting. Now, uh, you can do that anytime you want. Uh, but kind of try to connect it to something good, okay? When we do it. Joy to the world. It was a big surprise. Joy to the world was actually written uh, 300 years ago. 50 years before the United States became a country. It was written by a guy named Isaac Watt. And Isaac what at about age 15, something like that, Isaac Watt came out of church one Sunday and he was complaining and he said, all the songs are so old. Can't anybody write new songs? Can't we get some new songs sometime? And somebody said to him, well, if you want a new song, go write it. And you know what? He went off and wrote it and he brought his new song back with the tune, everything. And the church loved it. They loved it so much. They said... Go write more. And by the time he was like 21, he had written 60 hymns. And by the end of his life, he had written 600 hymns. And some of the hymns we still sing today, like when I survey the wondrous cross, you've sung that before. And I like this one, come we that love the Lord. 
as a kid, I really liked come we that, that love the Lord. And you, you know why? Because I think it's the second verse of the third. It makes this statement, let those who never loved God refuse to sing. And I loved as a kid walk, looking around because there were people who weren't singing the first, but then the, that, that was said, all of a sudden everybody's singing. And I just wanted to see what would happen after. So I wanted, it was one of the songs I really loved. And uh, Alas and Did My Savior Bleed. And he wrote a bunch of other songs he, that are sung all over the world. He wrote Joy to the World. Joy to the world, he understood, and this is the first fill in the blank, he understood that there is a longing. Even 300 years ago, a longing to finally have joy in the world. And oh, we need it so bad right now too. There's two words in the English language that we use that sort of conveys this feeling. And the first one is the word happiness. And the word happiness means that if there is a list of happy things that happen, good things that happen to you, you're gonna be happy. That's where the word happy comes from. Happenstance, happenings. Good things happening to you, oh, I'm gonna be happy. But then the other shoe drops and there's bad things that happen to you and now you're sad. And we, all of us live on this roller coaster all of us do. This roller coaster of I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm happy and sad, happy and sad. But there is another word and it's the word joy. And it means something so much deeper, unbelievably deeper. The word joy means you can have a whole bunch of bad stuff happen. You can have a whole lot of disappointing things happen. You can have some very hurtful things happen, but there inside of you, there's still this peace. You know, the Bible talks about a peace that the world can't understand. This is it. Even though bad things are happening, there's still a peace inside. There is still a confidence inside. There's still a calmness. I should be falling apart, but I'm not. Even in the midst of really bad things, hurtful things, difficult things, I'm still calm and grateful. I can still actually be grateful when terrible things are happening to me because there are other things that are happening that are so wonderful. And I'm able to see the good in the midst of the bad. That's what the word joy means. And Jesus said to us, I'm going to give you a joy that even this evil world can't take from you. And all of us are saying, oh God, please do it. When we give our heart to Christ and actually follow him and actually do what he says to do and actually believe that he is who he is, he gives us a joy that even this world can't take from us. And now we're off the roller coaster and we are now able in the midst of hard times to have this peace, this calmness, this, this confidence, and even this gratitude. When other people be looking at us and saying, why are you not falling apart? I'm gonna give you a joy that even this world can't take from you. I think uh, uh, Pastor Tim was here a couple weeks ago, Pastor Xavier last week, and I know they probably said, I would imagine they would have said, now remember that Christmas is not just about a baby born in a manger. 
Don't just have a baby in a manger and that's Christmas. Because that baby grew up and he was the son of God and he grew up to be a man and to follow his heavenly father with all of his heart, he came for a purpose to show us things about God we did not understand. And I'm telling you, you can take the teachings of Jesus and this is first time people understood it. It's second nature to our understanding of God today, but it was Jesus that opened our eyes. And miracles, even people rising from the dead kind of thing and, and all kinds of illnesses, and he performed miracles that was astounding. But the biggest reason he came as the humble servant to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and rise again. And probably you already have heard, now, Christmas is not just about a baby in a manger. It is about a baby in a manger, but it's not just about a baby in a manger. It's also a savior on a cross. But Isaac Watts said, but that's not far enough. Isaac Watts said, not just about a baby in a manger, and as wonderful as him being our savior is, it's about a savior on a cross, but it is also about a king that's coming back. That's what his whole joy to the world is. It is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He didn't even, he didn't even write it to be a Christmas carol. He wrote it to be a song about the second coming of Christ. He is coming as king and as Lord, and he is coming to reign physically, literally on the earth for a thousand years, the Bible says. And then afterwards, he is going to rule and reign for throughout eternity in a new heaven and a new earth, and all of this comes to the book of Revelation. And this is what Isaac Watts had in mind because Isaac Watts believed that Jesus was coming back and would literally reign and rule on the earth for a thousand years. And that means that he was a premillennialist because that's what the word means. A premillennialist is a person who believes Jesus is coming back and he's gonna rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. Then he's gonna rule and reign in a new heaven and a new earth forever. And here he was 300 years ago and he's a premillennialist. I, I have a, a software program that has all the writings of the church fathers, ancient church fathers. I don't even know if you've ever heard that term before, but when the last disciples died, how'd the church keep going? Well, God raised up leaders just like he's raising them up now and will raise them up in the next generation. He raised up leaders, and many of those leaders wrote things. They, they wrote letters to each other. They, they didn't write scripture, but they explained the scripture. So I have it as a software program, and I can go back and search and stuff, and I love that kind of thing. Go back, when did, what were they teaching in this, in this period of time? Because it goes for 500 years. And you know what I discovered? That not very many people, the church fathers wrote at the end of the first century to the beginning of the third century, meaning throughout the second century. Not a lot of them wrote about the second coming, but several of them did. And there are six key leaders who described their view of the second coming. And by the way, one of those was discipled personally by John who wrote the book of Revelation in the first place. They wrote that Jesus was coming back literally physically and would rule and reign literally physically for a thousand years on the earth. And then for eternity 
new heaven and new earth. In other words, they were pre-millennialists, and I am too. So what is all that about? And I thought, and so did the teaching team, well, this is really a good opportunity to explain a little bit of what does it mean for Jesus to come back? And how does that fit in the whole story? In the Old Testament, there were, oh, good grief, hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. And most of those prophecies were about he's coming back as the king. He's going to rule on the earth. Most of them were about those kinds of descriptions. And then some of them were about he'll be rejected. They're going to crucify him on a cross. And he'll rise again from the grave. How does one guy fit both of these? He's going to come and he's going to rule and reign on the earth and everybody's going to love him. And then the other, nobody's going to love him. They're going to reject him. How does one guy fit both things? Well, I'm going to tell you a story and then I'll back up and it'll all make sense in the point I'm trying to make. My family has been snow skiing one time. When my oldest son was in high school, Matthew was in high school, uh, and Jonathan, our youngest son, was in middle school, uh, we decided to go snow skiing. How many of you have been snow skiing before? Okay, many of you have. Well, we had never been, and I've never been in back, but we had never been, and we decided we're going snow skiing. And I, we got reservations at Crested Butte in, in uh, Colorado and I loaded up the minivan and off we went. Well, when we got there, the three guys, my two boys and me, went skiing. And when Matthew, our high schooler, got in the skis, it's like he was born in skis. I mean, he just could ski immediately. I, can't, I couldn't believe it. And Jonathan, my middle schooler, and I went to snow ski school. And I'm thankful they didn't give grades, but we went to school learning how to ski. And Jonathan picked it up really quick, and I also skied. <laughs> so we took off. Now look, I wasn't a total failure because I got up to the second level. So... Here's the deal. Matthew's goal was to get as many levels as he could. Jonathan's goal was to show his father that he was a better skier than his dad. That was his total goal. My goal was to not die. <laughs> the whole time I'm saying, oh, don't let me die. Somebody's got to drive us home. Don't, don't, don't die, don't die. I didn't break anything. I didn't die. And uh, I was a raging success. Now, Kathy did not go skiing. And I didn't know this, but she had no intention of it. And what happened was, is that when we were looking at all the brochures, she saw the fireplace. She loves to read. She reads and reads and reads. Loves to read. She, she brought a couple of books, and uh, new books, and... Uh, she had the fireplace, and all the time she was thinking, oh, this is going to be the greatest vacation I've ever had in my life. Those guys are going to be gone. And so she'd say to us in the morning, 
okay, go skiing and come back tonight or something, just whenever, come back. And she was in the fireplace, quiet, peace and quiet and reading books. In fact, when we got ready to leave, she protested more than anybody. The kids don't have to go back to school. They're fine, they know enough. No, we gotta go back to school. So, now what's the story about? When we were going, and we're in the car, all of them are asleep, I'm driving, and we get into New Mexico, and there is this beautiful mountain in front of me. I was, look, I've been born and raised in Oklahoma, Texas. Not a lot of mountains. And so this beautiful, huge mountain right in front of me. And in fact, as I'm driving, I'm just looking at it the whole time. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I just studied that mountain. It was beautiful. It was humongous. But to my great surprise, when I got closer to the mountain, I discovered I had not been looking at one huge mountain. I had been looking at two mountains. There was a smaller mountain in front of a larger mountain, but from the distance, I couldn't tell it. But when we got close, I could see now, these are two mountains. And when we got past the first mountain, there was a valley in between. And it was then I realized this is what happened in the Old Testament with these prophets. When they were seeing the coming of the Messiah from a distance, it looked like one coming, huge coming. But it didn't make any sense. He's going to come as a suffering servant. He's going to be rejected. He's going to die on the cross. That didn't make sense to He is going to rule over the whole world. But what was happening is they were so far away they could only see one mountain. But actually what they were looking at was two. They were looking at two comings of Jesus. And you know what? Even though they didn't know that, they didn't have it all figured out, they were faithful to write exactly what God told them, even if it didn't make sense to them. But guess what? We are in the valley in between. Oh, my soul, look at what we can see. We can look back and see the incredible coming of Jesus and the suffering servant being rejected, dying on the cross, rising again. And we can look ahead of us and see the great and glorious King, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is coming to rule and reign on the earth. Man, look at what we can see. But what happened to the Jewish people is that they put all their fixation on the second coming of Christ, not realizing they were, and they rejected the first coming of Christ, and that's why when Jesus came, they missed him entirely. So here is Isaac Watt, and he is seeing all of this, and now listen to the first two verses of Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields, floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sound of joy. The truth is, these two verses could fit the Christmas story and could fit the second coming story. But the next two verses, that's where it gets weird. And that's what I remember growing up singing and thinking, I don't understand this. The last two, but now I do. And so I want to grab hold 
of now, what they are teaching us because there is a second coming of Christ. By the way, he's coming as king, but you don't have to wait to let him be king over you. See, you, you are already involved in his kingdom that came when he came the first time. And if you will give your heart to Christ, if you will follow him as your Lord and Savior, he will reign inside you. And the joy he's going to bring to the world, you can already have now because of Jesus living in you. And the peace that he's going to give to the world, finally, you can have now because he is already now king in you. I just want you to know that you and I are not waiting. We're already receiving. But there'll be a day in which all the world will be changed. The beginning of an everlasting reign of joy to the world is going to happen when Jesus comes back. When he comes back. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation um, references, okay, he's, Jesus coming back in chapter 19. We're coming with him, by the way. If, we, if we're already in heaven, we're coming back with him. And then in chapter 20, notice what he says. Uh, in chapter 20, verse four, and they, many believers, lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. There it is. And in verse six, they, meaning believers, will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. This concept is matched in the book of Daniel. It's matched in Isaiah. It's, it's matched so, Micah all, all over the Old Testament. Zechariah. We're going to rule and reign with him. During the millennial reign of Christ, Jesus will reign as the absolute authority on the earth. Micah, Old Testament, Micah chapter 4, verse 1 3. Micah can only see uh, uh, from a distance, but here's what he says in the last days The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go. Notice who's coming. Many nations. Many nations will come and say, Come. Let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. That word Zion simply means Israel. It's another word for Israel. The law will go out from Israel, from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Then in Isaiah chapter two, verse three and four, all of the second chapter of Isaiah is about the second coming of Christ. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many people. Isaac Watt took those passages, those very passages and other passages in the Old Testament talks about Jesus one day ruling and reigning literally, physically on the earth. And he wrote the fourth verse of Joy to the World. And here's what he said. He, meaning Jesus, Jesus rules the world. Now that hasn't happened yet. It's never happened yet. But it's going to happen. When he comes back, it's going to happen. Jesus rules the world with truth and grace. 
and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, the wonders of his love. Truth and grace match the next words. Here's what's happening. He is saying, what's here, while Jesus, when Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth, he has two fundamental principles by which you, he rules, by truth and by grace. Now, when he is ruling by truth and the nations are seeing him rule by truth, they'll see the glories of his righteousness. They will see how you live better by living by the truth of God. That's what he's saying. Second of all, they will experience the glories of his love. That's grace. This phrase, truth and grace, has come to mean so much to me. When I came to Sugar Creek, Sugar Creek was pretty much all white, not all white, but just pretty much. And God began to change the church. There was no strategy. I keep having people, I have other pastors that say, please, come on, don't give me a spiritual answer. How did it really happen? I said, I don't have the slightest idea. There was not a strategy, but there was a prayer in which we ask God to do what we now see. And God did it. Now, when, yay. So when God began to change this church, well, we, have, we now have people, you can't even name a country that we, that we don't have people from. It's unbelievable, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, and ethnicity, we, we have every shade of skin, we have every language, we have 70 different language, languages crying out loud. It is the most amazing transformation I've ever seen, ever, ever even heard of, ever, never read about anything like this. When this was happening, I'm trying to pastor and I'm facing issues that I've never faced before. And I'm calling out to God and I'm saying, God, please give me wisdom. Please give me wisdom. I want to pastor well. And one morning I was calling out to God and saying, God, give me the principles that I am to go by as I pastor this church. And God brought me to John chapter one, verse 14 still remember the day and it just simply says and the word meaning Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth full of grace and truth well when that got on the radar and I read through the New Testament on a regular basis when that got on the radar, I started seeing truth and grace, grace and truth, they're interchangeable. I started seeing them everywhere. It's like, okay, I'm gonna start looking for uh, blue cars and suddenly you're seeing them everywhere, but you never saw them before. When I had that on the radar, suddenly I see it all over the Bible, truth and grace, truth and grace, grace and truth. Jesus was full, meaning capital T, truth, capital G, grace. I have seen churches that are capital T, truth, with a little g, grace. 
and they're mean. They're upholding the truth of the word of God, but they're as mean as the devil. They're just mean. I have seen churches that have a capital G grace. We're all about grace and a little T truth and they compromise the Bible right and left and all they want to do is just get along with others and have people tell them how great they are. And they have far gotten so far away from the Bible and they don't even care what God says anymore about moral issues. Don't care, God. We got grace. But here's the truth. They can't change anybody's lives because they don't have truth. So, Jesus is full of truth. Never compromise the word of God. Never, ever, ever. Never compromise the love of God. Ever, ever, ever. And churches that have a capital T truth and a capital G grace are Jesus churches. And it's hard What it means is we're not trying to get along with culture because culture is an enemy to God, has no interest in God, is fighting against God. You'd go listen to Jesus talk about it. If I hadn't come, Jesus said, they would not know about their sins, but now they know about their sins and they hate me and want to kill me. Culture, you get along with culture, It'll take you the wrong direction every single time. But if it's all about truth and no love, no, we can somehow, we can live according to God's word and we can live according to God's love. And without the love of God, none of us could make it. None of us could survive. And this is what Isaac, what, 300 years ago? I dreamt about that last night. I know this sounds so dorky, but... I woke up dreaming about grace and truth and Isaac Watt, and I was dreaming how, isn't it amazing, 300 years ago, there is this guy going through the same thing I went through today. Anyway, I know it sounds dorky, but 300 years ago, he learned this is how we live, grace and truth, truth and grace. And when Jesus rules on this earth, he will rule with truth and he will rule with grace. During the millennial reign of Christ, the world will finally know peace on earth, good will toward men, which means mankind. Remember what the angels sang to the shepherds the night that Jesus was born? There they are, and they start, they sing, and they say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill. There's never been peace on the earth. Even if, some, even if there's not a war happening, we're training for war. We're getting ready for the next war. There's never been peace on earth. There's never been joy to the world. But it says here that when this man comes, Jesus, the Son of God, 
eventually there will be peace on this earth and goodwill toward all people. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4. Isaiah chapter 2 is about the millennial is about is about the come the second coming of Christ. They will beat their swords into plowshares because they don't need swords anymore and their spears into pruning hooks because they don't need spears anymore. Nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore. When Jesus reigns on the earth, there's no need for armies. There's no need for police officers and there's no need for prisons. Even come, Lord Jesus. This is the time to cheer. Okay, for, oh, okay, all right, thank you, okay. All right, there we go. And it's not just people with people. Notice what in Isaiah 11, verses six to nine. Now, you gotta stay with me because I'm coming another one. Another one's coming. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. The young child put his hand in a viper's nest and they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth. He's not talking about heaven. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Look what, okay. See what's coming? Okay. See what's coming? I've had some people say to me, I, I, don't, I don't really think that that's meant to take literally when Jesus comes back, he just takes us to heaven. And there's no r- ruling on the earth. You know, because I, I, don't see, I don't see a need for it. It doesn't make logical sense to me. Well, Obviously, God doesn't do anything until he first comes to us and gets permission from us about what seems logical. And I'm thinking, well, who cares what is logical to you? This is God, and he can do what he wants. And I don't know that this is the reason. I'm just throwing out something. Uh, It's just a guess. But I guess I wonder if God is saying for that thousand years, I want the world to see what it would have been like if you would have just followed me. If you would have, if Adam and Eve wouldn't have sinned, you and I wouldn't have sinned. If you just followed me, I want you to see the joy that's in your heart, the peace that's in your heart, the joy and peace in this world. For a thousand years, I'm gonna show you what you were missing all along. So even the curses, you remember Adam and Eve sinned and curses, God cursed okra and stuff like that. And, the sin, and, and all, all those curses. Now, this is what, this is, this is um, verse three. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He's describing the thousand year reign of Christ, not Christmas. Don't make this figurative because the Bible doesn't call it figurative. And just let God be God. We, in this country, and I'm sure other places, are so politically driven. And oh my soul, another presidential election is coming. And, and uh, I don't enjoy 
that year, I don't enjoy all the fighting and screaming and the hatred and all that. I don't enjoy that. But I also am not putting down being politically minded. We live in a democracy. We have a responsibility to vote and we have a responsibility to vote with, with knowledge. We have a responsibility to vote. Okay, what does God say is right and wrong? Now, how do I vote? That's what we have responsibility to do. So it's not wrong being politically minded, but I just want to tell you, there have been, in 48 years, there have been eight presidents. Four of them Democrats, four of them Republicans. And here we are. So whoever your candidate is, he, he or she is not going to turn it all around. I hate to say that to you, but it's true. Now, it can get better and all that. But let me just tell you something. Republicans are not going to bring joy to the world, and Democrats are not going to bring peace to the world. They're just not going to. In order to do that, you got to have King Jesus. This is time. You got to have King Jesus. Now, you can have King Jesus in your heart, and I urge you to do that. And we can look forward to King Jesus coming and reigning and ruling. And I want him to come on November the 1st before the election happens. I'm praying on November the 1st or earlier before we go through, Lord Jesus, come. He, he is who we're looking forward to. Uh, On his robe, John says, as he's coming on his robe, is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Bible says in Philippians chapter two, God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He's he's who I'm looking for. So joy to the world is really talking about what's going to happen on earth at the second coming of Christ. Hope I haven't ruined joy to the world for you. But now when you sing it, you're singing about Jesus. The end of the story. He's not just a baby born in a, in a manger. He's not just, even as great it is, a, the savior of the world on a cross. He is the king who's coming back to rule and reign. Amen. Amen. So if you've never given your heart to Christ, would you do it now? Would you accept Jesus as your savior? Would you turn your heart to the Lord, let's pray. Father, we come to you and say, oh God, we want you, we need you. And we ask, Lord, that you would rule in our hearts today and give us joy today and give us peace today and lead our life today. And then, oh God, we pray for that day that Jesus comes and all that your word says will happen happens. And we pray, Lord Jesus, even so come now, Jesus Christ.
And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.